You are listening to an MLGA Network podcast. The only people for me are the mad ones. The world is filled with the boring and the barely conscious. Misery loves company. But we don't have to live this way. Jessica and I are here to talk to those the system rejects, to radicals and thought criminals. The ones who never yawn or say a commonplace thing, but push the boundaries of acceptable discourse. Those who stare reality in the face and dare it to be different. History isn't made by the timid, and fun is not had by the perpetually afraid. We are the Mad Ones. So let's get to it. Welcome to the Mad Ones. I'm here currently moonlighting as Brad Binkley on the Propaganda Report host as he fights a fever host, Cam Harless. And with me, as always, is your really prefers the word reposed over dead hostess, Miss Jessica Green. (laughs) Well, that is the preference of the Orthodox Church, of course. But my poor little Binkley has a fever. He's got a fever and we have no cowbell. I'm not there with him and I don't have a cowbell, so I don't know how to help. But my poor little Binkley buddy. So he won't be here tonight, unfortunately. Um, But joining us tonight is a guest who I believe has probably been on this show more than anybody else. Um, Is that the uh, X-Files theme I hear in the distance? If not, (laughs) you should be, because coming in from the West Coast tonight is the destroyer of propaganda, the bane of Bilderberg, the annihilator of the official narrative, the Batman of breaking the news they don't want you to hear, and a very good friend of ours and this show, Miss Monica Perez. Hey, guys. I think you're my (laughs) most frequent guest also. That's always true. covering the uh, always covering us when we take a break and you're uh, our propaganda report listeners are huge fans of yours then uh, hopefully oh. they'll all be here today well i've got to open up these well, comments and see welcome propaganda reporters if you are new to the show cam is all over the internet he just spreads it around so <laughs> and, well I, I thought what i thought was funny is after i wrapped up um today's show and edited and put it together i don't know if you noticed this monica did you notice what i named the patron 45 i didn't i think i only saw the first one but i have it right here in front of me let me say <laughs> no i only see one thing oh like i i named it on on patreon uh the one where we talk about gavin newsom and say the c word a lot oh I was telling him that I have a more sophisticated audience. Yeah. I was telling Cam that my mom has a visceral reaction to the C word. Like she physically recoils when she hears it. And I don't really have a word. I don't think, I mean, test me if you like to that. I like physically recoil to, but I think that's because I had gay roommates in college and the C word was a term of endearment. Like, that's just what you call each other. So, yeah, I haven't found it yet. But if you guys if you guys want to test me and find out if there's a word that not on air. <laughs> that really, if that really a, does offend you. Yeah, yeah. I'd like to, I should know what it is, you know, like if it's yes. out there. It's like if there's kryptonite, you should know. Well, that word did not offend me at all. Unfortunately, <laughs> I have a visitor. Ugh get out of here. <laughs> so it did not offend me at all. And it, although we did, we did talk about it quite a bit and we did have one context in which it offended me. I won't rehash the story, but you all can go listen. <laughs> oh, well, patrons can go listen. 
But yeah, I forgot about that. And I do have sophisticated patrons who probably don't like it. But the compromise I've made is that the free show, the free 30 is clean. And mm -hmm. I let I get to let my hair down in the patron 15. That's that's there the you go. compromise. And it's been satisfactory yeah. because what people were saying was I can't share your show with people in my church because you curse so much. And I'm like, I never curse or swear. <laughs> I only use vulgarity. But anyway, so we cleaned it up to make it shareable. And then the patron 15 is an entirely voluntary organization. <laughs> people from my church, people from my church just sort of found out that I have a podcast because of the mic. They would see me in our Zoom calls with the mic and they oh, said, oh, are you no. on the radio? And I was like, no, and please oh. don't listen to my show. That's what I try to tell people. Yeah. I tell my mother, my husband, I'm like, don't, don't, don't tell them. Don't tell them. <laughs> not, not a lot of people can handle it. And definitely not people you just happen to be sitting in a room with, you know? You have yeah. to carefully curate the people you share the show with. Yeah. That's, that's true. Yeah. Thankfully, we've only gotten good feedback from the church members so far. So, oh, that's fantastic! Be, wow, yeah, that must not be too bad. What church is that? That's kind of amazing. Right. <laughs> well, I mean, I don't want to specifically tell the wide world say, where I go to church I mean, on Sunday, but it's like a it's like a mainstream religion, right? We're not talking. Yes, yes, okay. yes. It is. It's it's no, the no second Satan largest isn't. Christian church. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, but what's what's fun about the show is since we've shifted away from political stuff, it does kind of open up the doors to a wider audience. Mm -hmm. um, you know, sometimes we still yeah. say the bad words, but it's it's been good because I've I felt comfortable sharing episodes with my mother, and I even had her on the last one. Really, you share episodes with your mother? I'm like some teleprompter. You share episodes with your mother. Did you clean up yeah, your act or what? He did. He the the shelf behind him has a bunch of liquor on it, and the <laughs> lights were turned off when his mom was on the show. <laughs> oh, she can't even handle that that you're uh, an aficionado no, with fine whiskey. I think he just didn't want his mom to see his liquor bottles. Oh. I don't think it had anything to do with Cindy. I, my my mom did like when I told her I was doing the DPPs where we get together and have cocktails with the listeners and people chat. It's very fun. Always encouraging the I... drinking. <laughs> well, you know, God gave us wine to make our hearts glad. So I don't there necessarily see a problem with it. Yeah. <laughs> you, a solution you, to all of our problems. Do you know what yeah. I almost said the other day? And I, I thought better of it just right before I said it. Because I wasn't thinking, it wasn't like I'm going to be edgy, but I almost said happy September 11th because oh, no. it, yeah. because, because of all of the flags I saw, my brain went, oh, yeah. it's one of these, one of these holidays. And I was like, oh no, no, it's, this is a bad day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, it's not, it's but, not a happy day. It is. It does. That's interesting. Cause it does serve the same purpose. Yeah. Um, no, well, it saves it's, the same, a, it's, it's like patriotism and. You see, when I see that and I see the flag and everything, it feels very warmongery to me. Yeah. Hmm. You know, and they, they're like, Wait. don't you care about the victims? I'm like, well, yes, that's why I want to get the actual perpetrators. <laughs> you know? Did you guys hear the story about the student in Washington University who went around campus removing all of the little tiny American flags that the student organization had placed along the pathway? And um, a student had walked up to him and filmed him doing this. And several times the campus police 
stopped him and made him go put the flags back. They put the flags back, but he kept repeating this behavior where he would go and take these little yard flags out of the ground. And I'm just kind of like, hey, you know, that's more to remember the people that died than it is to like celebrate the 20 years of, you know, perpetual war that occurred afterward. So maybe just like leave them there. But yeah, it was pretty weird. This kid could not be dissuaded from removing the flags. And Did he say why? No, uh, he just he. So the, when the person went up to him and filmed him, they asked him, why are you doing that? And he, he didn't answer. He just had these trash bags full of little flags. And then he casually walked away like, OK, freak. So they called campus police on him. The police made him return the flags. And this um, happened three times to the point where they told him, look, if you do this again, your next option is to go to jail, which apparently at that point he stopped stealing the little flags. But um, yeah, I'm not sure. It wasn't it wasn't really clear why he was doing that. But I think a lot of people do associate any kind of mention of 9-11 with the warmongering that sort of came afterward, which is a reasonable connection to make. And it makes it hard for people who just want to remember, you know, remember the lives of the people, honor the lives of the people who were lost. Because clearly, you know, 3,000 people lost under such horrific circumstances is something you do want to, you know, um, have a memorial for. And then it gets really tied up with all this other baggage, well, you know, from our government, the, Patriot Act. And go ahead. If you read the project for a new American century, it's impossible to deny or to it's it's really the coincidence of something like that being desired in order to justify the exact war that came out of it. It's kind mm -hmm. of like event 201. It's like, mm, could be a coincidence, but it could also be blueprints. Mm -hmm. Yeah. My, uh, I had a friend who is like the biggest conspiracy theorist. I know, like if you have a conspiracy theory, he's into it. And then he messaged me on the nine 11 anniversary and said, you know what? I think it was just terrorists. I don't think the government did it. And I was like, why now? Why would yeah. you reverse your thinking on that now? And I almost wonder if it's like it's become too mainstream to believe that 9-11 was an inside job. So his natural instinct is to go the other way of the mainstream thinking and say, you it's know what? No. Conspiracist. Yeah, that's interesting yeah. because yeah. the conspiracy then is his conspiracy theory is that the conspiracy theory was put out there to derail people. But that doesn't really when you start not being able to figure out what's real and what's not real, I think you're not developing your discernment faculties because mm -hmm. ultimately, like I've never come around on aliens i'm not saying that i won't and there is evidence and i i read some stuff but i haven't come around on it yet i really don't know come With around chemtrails for like or i against. don't i am not a believer that in any alien narrative i've heard i just okay. don't anunnaki or they run the government or like interdimensional i'm just not i'm not saying it's not true i really do not know I'm not mm -hmm. convinced nothing has convinced me. Whereas mm -hmm. with chemtrails, I am convinced. And it took a really, really long time for me to realize it. But it's it's because out here, it's so obvious. 
Like in LA, it's so obvious. I mean, I have pictures of them accidentally spraying it under the cloud so you can see that it's silver. I mean, I could show you a picture right this second. So like, it's impossible. I can't unsee it. And every time I try to unsee it, they come and they do the same thing, which is push the clouds down so it doesn't rain. So I can predict what's happening, then it happens and I see it and I take pictures of it and I tell people and they see it. Like I just, there's just too much evidence. And the same thing with 9-11, like you just, if you watch Massimo Matsuko's five hour documentary, the new Pearl Harbor, like it's, it's just, it's impossible to deny. Another one he did was American moon. Same thing. It's like, you just cannot watch these photographers saying like, look, I'm showing you that the light can't be from the sun. It has to be something else. And, you know, that kind of thing. It's just, once you, I mean, every time I have my doubts, I go back. Now, Mm -hmm. like the question of God, the existence of God, I I read a thing of Tolstoy. Tolstoy was a great author. He wrote, I mean, he's one of my favorites, if not my absolute favorite. And he just decided at, at a certain point, he just decided unequivocally he believed in God he was a spiritualist anarchist and he decided not to write novels anymore. He started to just write like spiritual stuff or just changed his whole life because that's what happens, I guess, when you just firmly believe in God. But if you read some of his story along the way, he says, I would go through these phases where I would absolutely positively believe in God. It's so obvious. There could not be no other explanation. I, I feel his presence in my life. I see the order around me. And then I would alternate with, the idea of God is ridiculous. It's crazy. Like, how could you possibly yeah. think that you can be aware of your personhood after your brain is shriveled up 5,000 years? Like, how is mm-hmm. it possible that you're going to have a conversation without a mouth? You know, how is it possible that there's an entity that goes above and beyond? And and there are things like that where I go, I mean, that itself, but I'm just saying like, that is the process of discernment. And if you keep going, if, if he doesn't give up, if he keeps going, I think he will come around to the undeniable evidence that 9-11 just you, you, you cannot believe the official story. It's just not believable. Yeah, well, and that's and that's the thing. Like, my thing, I've never delved too deeply into the theories past what they gave us and saying, I don't believe the official narrative. Like I, I don't know what happened, but I don't believe this. I think that there was mm-hmm. a lot more going. There's a lot of inconsistencies and uh, coincidences like the Rumsfeld talking about the how many billion dollars they lost the day before it hit the Pentagon. Yeah, I actually I'm not super convinced by that one, but there's a lot and I can tell you why, but there's a lot more. Well, let's 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 go through the 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 thing, because I'm I'm curious of your thoughts, because I like I said, I haven't gone too deep. I've heard these different things. But first, I just want to say, how the hell has it been 20 years already? Oh, I know. I I was 12 years old when it happened. And oh, God. That is one of the things that I, like, people talk about different um, uh, generations. And they're like, oh, I'm a millennial. And I'm like, do you remember 9-11? Yeah. Did it have an impact on your life? They're like, no. I'm like, you're not, you're not one of us. We are, so we are you separate. Made me, you made me feel old by saying that 9-11 was 20 years ago. And then you made me feel older by saying that you were 12 <laughs> So that's, that's an old thing that we used to do, you know, like the, a couple of years after was, do you remember where you were on nine 11? And Mm. that's a, that it is a a fair question. Do you, Monica, do you remember our generation? Yeah. Yeah. I remember. But I remember where you were. 
very distinctly, I was at uh, my friend's house in Colorado, just visiting. And it was before I had kids and we were supposed to go on a hike and she was getting ready. And I was watching TV and I said, wow, like there's a fire at the World Trade Center. And she's she was born and raised in New York, right near there. Like she was like near Lincoln Center. And she thought it was a joke. She was listening to it on the radio and she thought it was, they were, these guys were just joking around. And I was like, no way. And then the building fell. And then a little while later, the other building fell and we were just in shock. We canceled our hike. I mean, I don't know, you know, it wasn't I don't know what people were really thinking, but the first thing I did, I did exactly what they want you to do, which is I started comparing it. I said, is this, cause I knew like 50,000 people probably worked in and around those buildings and that maybe they all died. And I started thinking, is this more like Vietnam or more like Pearl Harbor? I really thought it was more like Vietnam. So I looked up and she had encyclopedias and I looked up how many people died in Vietnam and it was 50,000 people had died in combat in Vietnam, Americans, Americans, Wow. Um, from what I could tell. And <clears throat> so I was making those comparisons and it was only later that I realized that it was almost the exact same number as died in Pearl Harbor, which is exactly what they wanted. And when I read the report from Iron Mountain, it said like there, we do computer calculations on all of this stuff, including how much, like how many deaths, something like this vaguely, how many deaths it would take to change the position, a policy position, you know, of the people. Like, so if people would vote one way, how many, how many deaths would it take to make them vote a different way? Wow. And they, they said they could calculate how a policy could change the price of real estate in lower Manhattan, a tiny change in policy. So they were really, you know, so when I saw that, that they used that number, that's what they were looking for. You know, that was a while later. But I do remember that even though we didn't go on our hike, we did still have people over. And I made Kai Perinias for the first time, which take longer to make than they take to drink, just so you know. But my first thought was, my very first thought was, they'll have to take care of this Palestine-Israel thing now. And, and my friend who I was with at her house, she's Jewish and from New York. And uh, I don't think she really had an opinion on it either way. But for me, like all I ever thought of about the Middle East was the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. That's all I ever thought about the Middle East. I never thought anything else. And now that I've looked into it so, for, you know, much more deeply, I realize that as Gregory Harms, maybe I have the book handy, he wrote a really jarring book called The Introduction to the Israeli-Palestinian Conflict, but he wrote another book called Straight Power Concepts. So as much as you might think that it's about Israel and Pal Pal Palestine, it's actually just straight power concepts, the power of the Middle East, the power of the oil, the location, all of that. And so I've come to realize that even where I think that the Israeli-Palestinian thing in itself is like this big cover. It's a scapegoat, more or less. It's a, you, know, you don't have to dig any deeper than that, or Islamists hate freedom, you know, stuff like that is even more shallow, but that's what I thought. Let me see if I can see those books. So I was, you um, were, were you 17 or 18? Me? Yeah. Yeah. I was 16. 16. I had not yet. Yeah. I was a junior in high school and I was, I was a bad kid. So I was skipping school that day. And um, we went over to my friend Robbie's house because he was the one who had, you know, the stuff that the we weed. smoked when we skipped school. <laughs> um, 
but he didn't want to wake up yet. So we flipped on the TV and there was an accident had happened at the World Trade Center. And it was like, oh no, a plane hit the World Trade Center. What a terrible accident. How did this happen? I didn't even know planes could fly through that area. And we were watching live as the second plane came around. And I remember thinking in my head, oh, he better watch out or he'll hit the other building. And I watched that as I thought that I watched that plane slam directly into that building. Wow. And I didn't, we didn't speak for minutes after that, just in complete shock, because I couldn't understand that it wasn't an accident. They had reported the first one was an accident. So I watched this happen a second time and my brain could not process that someone had done this on purpose. And it took, you know, a really long time for me to um, come to grips with that. And I remember calling my dad and telling him, you know, I'm watching this on TV. I'm not at school. He said, stay where you are. I didn't get in trouble for skipping that day. He said, stay where you are. And then I called him after school um, and I asked him, what's going on? What should I think? What should I do? And he said, well, you go to bed tonight. And when you wake up in the morning, either everything will be exactly the same or everything will be completely different. <laughs> and looking back on him saying that 20 years after, he was right on both accounts. Like in a way, nothing changed. And in a way, everything was different. You That's know, and to say that I, I finish and then I'll tell you what that means. No, yeah, that was that was pretty much it. But I remember I, I'll never forget going up the stairs to my friends. I, I'm not going to say his name, but I went up upstairs to wake him up. And I was like, hey, you should wake up. There's an accident in New York. Buildings on fire. And he he looks he turns on his TV in his bedroom for a second. He looks at it and he goes, eh. And he shuts it off and he goes back to sleep. And that was his 9-11 reaction. And oh this was before God. the second plane hit. We just thought it was an accident at that time. So he's not like a total bastard or anything like that. But I, I'll never forget him being like, eh, and then shutting the TV back off. Like, okay, we'll go downstairs and wait for you to wake up. <laughs> I re that reminds me of that when Obama was elected, the South Park had, had a, an episode ready probably for either Obama mm. or McCain. So Obama and McCain were like teammates on something. So it didn't matter who won, but it had Ike saying like Ike was worried or something. And he said, Oh, you know, what are you worried about? You, you think the trees aren't going to grow? You think this is going to, you know, nothing's going to happen or everything's going to happen. Everything's going to change. And then people got up the next day and like, it was still like the trees grew and all of that. Mm -hmm. And, and it, it totally made me think about, gotta get out of here, dog. It made me think that, yeah, but it, the trees were growing, but it was, it was different. The world was different. And it's because it was, it was kinetic or whatever. It was pregnant with what was going to happen. And it did change the world. I mean, I, I still think Obamacare was the tipping point because, for the most part, the once you have the half of the economy basically tied up with government money, then you'll never in a democracy ever vote for anything but more government yeah. spending, higher tax, because everybody's um, livelihood depends on it. So I just I, I feel like you think nothing changes because the trees are still growing, but right. it does change. Like we still had to go to school the next day. You know, I, yeah. I, I worked at the mall. I still had to go to work. And I remember these stories coming out in the news about like, oh, terrorists might attack the Walmart and Roswell. And I'm like, why would 
Islamic terrorists attack the Walmart in Roswell, but people really thought that they were they scared. What do you I mean? Was I, I, no, you're right. I, I was 12 years old yeah. and I, I watched it happen. I think it was, I saw some of it in homeroom because they turned on the TV. There were good teachers and bad teachers that day. Teachers who let us see what was going on and teachers who tried to shield us. I, I am glad that we had a couple teachers who let us see what was going on and in that time. Uh, but I remember being not really being super scared, just like I was a kid still. I was 12. You know, I didn't have a whole dearth Reference. of emotion to, to go through. But right. I remember being sad. I remember not believing it. But what was funny is we went through the whole school day. School wasn't canceled. We, we went through. They kept us in. And then I went to football practice that night. And I was in football practice. We practiced on a um, a field that would switch between baseball and football. And so mm -hmm. there were always dugouts um, on the field. And we were doing football practice and talking kids stuff. And then we saw a plane fly overhead. Oh, yeah. And every single one of those little boys ran into the dugout because we thought, oh, they're going to take a nosedive into the field and kill us. Yep. And so yep. I remember... Like I think I guess it was the next day. Plane. I have no idea. I just remember there were we no all yeah ran. for a couple of days there were no planes. Yeah, forty four thousand we flights scared. a day were canceled. Yeah. And that's why we were scared is because they said they've grounded all the flights. Any of them that are still left out there, yes. um, just need to land. And so we saw that we freaked out. Yeah. And I don't know if it was the same day or the next day, but I remember being in the lunchroom and we were talking about how this is World War Three. This is because, you know, we saw the day that we'll live in infamy stuff. We saw all that. We like this is World War Three. And I was a 12 year old who was prepared to fight. I was going to go and, and take <laughs> care of it. You know, and a lot of people signed up after that. Bless. I'm glad I was 12. Yeah. And not, and not 18. Yeah. Um, but that's what was that what was crazy about that whole situation is it was it, like for millennials. It was this it was it happened like for everyone. It shifted things. You know, things changed, you know, you couldn't swap plane tickets anymore. You had to take your shoes off. You had to do all these, this extra stuff, but it was right in the middle of our understanding of things. So we knew both before and after, mm -hmm. and it was this bizarre thing that slowly became normal. And it's really like COVID. not. Yeah. Right. I just these thinking are it. Wars. These are all yeah. wars. War, war is for, war used to be about, I don't even think about grabbing land so much as grabbing tax taxable land and now i just feel like it's about social control which is another thing you get from a report from iron mountain and they were looking for a substitute and the pandemic a pan whatever like the yes pandemic is the substitute for war but that was yeah. war and when you think about it it seems to me when you talk about biden taking ownership of the usa patriot act saying he wrote it for OKC or World Trade Center 93 or whatever. Like I just see all of those events, they had to just keep getting bigger and bigger because they could not get the Patriot Act passed. And I really feel like that was the main reason, like the main reason was to, to put the last nail in the coffin of the constitution that really, and um, I have a listener, one of my JJs who said they're probably drafting another constitution right now. Yeah, they, well, I mean, there the there are some line. people there are some people out there who who are not going to get their constitution passed, but who are creating their own constitutions. The constitutional convention people, yeah, no, for I'm sure. talking about like like radical leftists. 
Like oh, the okay, people, because the people who will yeah. never be taken seriously, but they're all drafting their own constitutions. I've seen okay, that. Okay, well, <laughs> I mean, the way it works these days is you just always compromise from where you are to where the other guy is. You never say, okay, well, I could go further to the right or whatever it is. But that's why when the guy, when people advocate for this constitutional convention or convention of states, I'm totally opposed to that. You are not going to draft. I, I mean, I prefer the Articles of Confederation. I, if you just want to swap them out, I'd be okay with that. But you are not drafting anything better than the letters on the page of the constitution. See if you can get it enforced before you scrap it and think that by expanding or clarifying or whatever, you're going to get what that thing clearly says is yours to have and you are not getting now. So I'm not a fan of that. Aren't we in kind of a conundrum where it's obvious that the constitution didn't work? Like it was supposed to be a restriction of government powers and it simply did not stop that from happening. I, that was definitely my anarcho-capitalist epiphany was that when I just thought it it's like Lysander Spooner says one thing or the other, but it still didn't work. And I, I started to think that actually I was thinking about this for the Russian Revolution, the French Re Revolution and the American Revolution, that all three of them were hijacked within 10 years. So yeah. what was fought for was the Articles of Confederation, which probably would have worked, except for that it could not it couldn't stay, they couldn't keep it. So right. it was hijacked immediately, kind of just like, I feel like the French and Russian revolutions are, are clearer what really happened is like they had the people fight the fight, they riled them up, they got them to tear down the old and then they replaced it with whatever and then they just replaced it with something completely different. And I feel like that's what they are, they, big T, they are trying to get us to do now. When they yeah. put those, they are putting... I see that these like Boogaloo boys and the Proud Boys, pe people are into it. Like Oath Keepers, I was a big fan of Oath Keepers. But all these organizations, they get, they're, they're either set up or they get infiltrated or there's just like a moment when they get big enough that they get infiltrated. And the point mm -hmm. is when the problem is Klaus Schwab, they focus you on Nancy Pelosi. And if mm -hmm. you, or, you know, and yeah. And what we should have done was when Trump stepped out of line, he should have said, hey, just because there's an R next to his name doesn't mean that the emergency authorization or the emergency declaring an emergency here that's empowering all the governors, that's not okay. Someone has to stand up. Well, what could he do? It's like, well, whatever. But we need it. We really need to identify the problems and I think stick to the process. But what they're trying to get us to do is tear down the constitutional, the remnants of the constitutional government we have. And I, and I think that the remnants are better than nothing at this point. Right. I think we should keep it. I think we should so defend it. Do you think there's any way that um, balkanization or um, like the states splitting up into becoming their own individual countries? Is there something like that that possibly could happen? You know, I would be fine. You know, of course, that would be a great thing. But look at Haiti. Look at Belarus, like they don't let mm -hmm. you do that. Costa Rica tried to give anarcho-capitalists just a little piece of land. They said, hey, we're going to build a city. I'm sure they were going to pay them, give them 15% off the top or whatever. And yeah. Costa Rica agreed to it. I think it was Costa Rica. And then just the pressure from the world came down and they and the offer got rescinded. And I just feel like if if you're dealing with a power that's so so great that they can what I, I'm beginning to think they literally just sprayed a bioweapon on the entire earth. Not and and one like 
if they could have made it more powerful, maybe they would have, but they don't really want that. They want to control it. So they put it out. Most of it is in the needles, but some of it was just sprayed. If they, if they can do that, if they can kill every single one of the leaders, the African leaders or whatever, who they couldn't persuade, they can take everybody down at a certain point. You just go Dave Chappelle and you're like, ah, fuck it. You know, I'm just, you're talking I, can, about, I can hold um, out as long as possible. How can you have a, an independent state when the world power that can control everything everywhere is it is not going to have it like they just mm -hmm. control everything especially when there's going to be you know no more money like how do you how do you defend your borders against that against right against a bioweapon being sprayed over you like you'd have to I, i'm not i'm not i'm not saying don't do it i actually almost prefer the free county project over the free state project although i'm considering okay. like in one of the few places i want to move one of them is new hampshire i really really am seriously considering it when i have a say and you know whatever but i don't have to you, we don't have to pay tuition but there is a certain group um of people that the new the the free state project has attracted who are um a little nuts i'm not going to sugarcoat that i don't know like, anything about the free state project i want I, i'm not I, i'm not a joiner i just i just think it would be right. nice to live in New Hampshire and it would be cool to to be one of the people who is yeah. on your side but i just i think that that if you can i almost feel like the you know it's it's an impossible really question but i feel like if you could take control of your county like there's a county in California here where the yeah. the sheriff just said i'm not enforcing these laws and he didn't and they yeah. don't and you can't really i mean they just got to eat that but if it's a state, they can set you up. I don't know. I mean, I haven't I have seen problem, governors. I am worried. I have seen governors pushing back against some of this stuff. So it's like they'll be good on COVID, but they'll be garbage on like gun rights and stuff like that. So it's like, you know, you, you take your good with your bad. And I don't know if it's like a lesser of two evil think? kind of situation. Is there anyone you think is legit? Because like DeSantis seems to me when when he oversaw that Miami condo collapse with a straight face, which I consider to have been a total setup. I just, mm -hmm. you know, he's playing a role. He's going to I'm sure he's going to run and he has to have this track record. What do you think? Cam? No, I was just going to say I, I heard recently that he actually used to work at Guantanamo Bay. <laughs> wow. Which is like, wow. <laughs> wow. So he knows the truth about 9-11. You know my theory about Guantanamo Bay. No. It's, it's, not, it's not that it's a bunch of terrorists. They just couldn't find the evidence, but they're so dangerous they can't let them out. It was probably a bunch of cooperators who know too much and they can't let them out. Uh, That's what I think, yeah. is that they're just they're political prisoners. So you mentioned Haiti. Are you talking about the Haitian president being assassinated recently? Yes. Or something yes. further back? Okay. No. So, yeah, so in February, he arrested a bunch of people for a coup. There was all this leaked audio they were working with, I think, the former ambassador to Haiti under Clinton, like the people who were doing the coup against him. And mm -hmm. they, they like eight people in Haiti died of COVID. One of them happened to be the third, the third person who would have taken over. And the second person hadn't been sworn in yet. So there was a complete mm -hmm. crisis of leadership there. And I think when it really wasn't working out, I, I think they can do earthquakes. William Algendahl said the first Haiti earthquake was about maybe natural resources or something. That's why Clinton, Bush, everybody was on the scene totally. Uh, this isn't the time for partisanship. Like we need to be in Haiti now. 
I feel like they maybe did that earthquake too. Just and now yeah. I think the guy that they arrested was the guy I believe that Moise Moise had selected as his successor. And now they're saying, "Oh, he's no good. He's got to go." I mean, they're just in there. Maybe it's a messy place to start out with, but the first thing I looked at when I saw that guy got killed was the vaccination rate in Haiti, and I found that it was zero. Right. Mm -hmm. And the guy, and he, the head of Tanzania, the head of Burundi, all these people that were completely opposed to the whole narrative, to the lockdowns and everything. Yeah, I, I thought that that was interesting too, especially given the history of the U.S. government in Haiti and how they basically used the Marines and the military to set up um, shop for corporate U.S. corporate interests, even though Haiti didn't want that. And we sent in Marines and forcibly made that happen. So it's like the U.S. has a really shady track record with how they deal with Haiti and the Haitian government. I do know that they have a storied past and I, and it always makes me sad. Like it was a, a libertarian example of like having somehow not been involved in writing the Haitian constitution. And of course mm -hmm. Haiti is not, not a very well, like not a success story. So anyone who at that might say, well, we probably should have helped them. But as you mentioned earlier, the constitution, you know, isn't is is just worth the the people who defend it, right? Um, one I'm of looking the things up the that name of the I'm, guy. I'm always glad of is when there are people like with this last year and a half with COVID who immediately said this is not good. I mean, I I ran away from Pennsylvania very early on because I was like, this is not good. You right. said this is not good. A lot of people we know said this is not good. But, you know, right after 9-11, I mean, there were there were a couple people who said something. But have you ever read the article by Harry Brown that he wrote the day after 9-11? No. And I I am a big fan of Harry Brown and I would love to hear it. I remember voting for him. Just real super quick before you guys go in down the uh, Harry Brown hole, if you guys are interested in learning a little, <laughs> yeah, I did that on purpose. Um, if you're if you're ever bored one day and you want to look into what I was talking about with Haiti, Google Smedley Butler and oh, yes. the terms "war is a racket," "war is yes. a racket," "gangster for capitalism," or "the business plot," and you will you will oh. find a, a deep rabbit hole to go down. But let's go down this Harry Brown hole. <laughs> yes. Gross. Um, but he, he wrote an article <laughs> on September 12th um, called When Will We Learn? And it's short. So I thought I'd just read the entirety of it so that we can kind of talk about that in September 11th from here. Um, so he wrote, the terrorist attacks against America comprise a horrible tragedy, but they shouldn't be a surprise. It is well known that in war, the first casualty is truth, that during any war, truth is forsaken for propaganda. But sanity was a prior casualty. It was the loss of sanity that led to the war in the first place. Our foreign policy has been insane for decades. It was only a matter of time until Americans would, would have to suffer personally for it. It is a terrible tragedy of life that the innocent so often have to suffer for the sins of the guilty. When, when will we learn that we can't allow our politicians to bully the world without someone eventually bullying back? President Bush has authorized continued bombing of innocent people in Iraq. President Clinton bombed innocent people in the Sudan. Afghanistan, Iraq, and Serbia. President Bush uh, Sr. invaded Iraq and Panama. Mm -hmm. President Reagan bombed innocent people in Libya, invaded Grenada, and on and on it goes. Do we think that the people who lost their family and families and friends and property and all that destruction would love America for what happened? 
when will we learn that violence always begets violence? Supposedly, Reagan bobbed Libya to teach Muammar Gaddafi a lesson about terrorism. But shortly thereafter, a Pan Am plane was destroyed over Scotland, and our government tried to convince the world it was the Libyans who did it. When will we learn that teaching someone a lesson never teaches anything but resentment, that it only inspires the recipient to greater acts of defiance? Yes. How many times on Tuesday did we hear someone describe the terrorist attacks as cowardly acts? But as misguided and despicable as they were, they were anything but cowardly. The people who committed them knowingly gave their lives for whatever stupid beliefs they held. But what about the American presidents who order bombings of innocent people while the presidents remain completely insulated from any danger? What would you call their acts? When will we learn that forsaking the truth, forsaking truth and reason in the heat of battle almost always assures that we will lose the battle? And now, as night follows day, we will be told we must give up more of our freedoms to avenge what should never have been never happened in the first place. When will we learn that it makes no sense to give up our freedoms in the name of freedom? What should be done? First of all, stop this hysteria. Stand back and ask how this could how this could have happened. Ask how a prosperous country isolated by two oceans could have so embroiled itself in other people's business that someone would want to do us harm. Even sitting in the middle of Europe, Switzerland isn't beset by terrorist attacks because the Swiss mind their own business. Mm. Second, resolve that we won't let our leaders use this occasion to commit our, their own terrorist acts upon more innocent people, foreign and domestic, that will inspire more terrorist attacks in the future. Third, find a way with enforceable constitutional limits to pre prevent our leaders from ever provoking this kind of anger against America. There will be those who say this article is unpatriotic and un-American, that, that this is not a time to question our country or our leaders. When will we learn that without freedom and sanity, there is no reason to be patriotic? I have, I have something to say about that, that it really brought to mind that article while you were reading it. I was watching a lot of the footage of us leaving um, Afghanistan to the Taliban fighters. And something that I noticed about the Taliban fighters is that a lot of them are my age. I'm 38, which places them about 15, 16 years old when 9-11 happened. So how many of these Taliban fighters were created by the ministrations of the US government in their country? Who were, how many fathers of these young men were killed, or not so young anymore, now we're all near 40, I guess, but how many, um, you know, fighters did you kill and you made 10 more behind them? Mm -hmm. So, you know, Harry Brown was absolutely right. He, he laid that out for us right there at 9-11 and our government proceeded to just plow through. And all of those exact predictions came true because I watched all of these men, these Taliban fighters who were nothing but teenagers when this whole thing started. And, you know. And there are some of them who were even younger than I am, who were even... Yeah who are 19, 20, these are, there are, there are people who are in the Taliban now that are fight that were fighting who were born after we invaded them. Yeah. Just like there are boys for the last two years, there have been boys who were born before we went to war Yeah, who were in that war after. And he, yeah, he, he, he lay or yeah, after, but yeah, he, he laid out, he laid the, all of that out. Don't let them take our freedoms. They took our freedoms. Don't don't let them continue terror. We did a 20-year terror campaign in Afghanistan. And now We've the Taliban it. is bigger and richer than it had 
ever had a chance of being before. And you know, the people who took over are the Connie network, mostly the guys they swapped for Bergdahl. And they were people who Charlie Wilson, I think he called Hagan, Hakani good personified, something like that. So it's my opinion that the whole Taliban thing is just a puppet regime of ours, not a puppet regime <laughs> to make things peaceful, a puppet regime to make things agitated. I feel that I'm, beginning to, I, I'm cautiously believing that about Iran too. And well, they were wanting to give economic aid to Afghanistan immediately who is run by the Taliban. Like there's mm -hmm. uh, arguments going on in the political sphere right now about sending the Taliban foreign aid. Yeah. <laughs> is they're going to say it'll keep the refugees in, but all they do is spread refugees and terrorism around the world when they break these countries up and they invade. So they'll give them the money to keep the refugees and terrorists in, but that just means they'll do what Egypt does, which gets military equipment to keep their own people in line. I don't think there's any dividing line in Egypt where we put, give them a lot of military money. Oh, actually, it's not even money. It's like in kind. And I don't think there's any difference between their their military and their police. I, I'm sure that's not true, but I think there's they certainly use that stuff against their own people, if I recall correctly. And isn't it wild how many of them seem to know how to operate the specialized equipment? <laughs> Things like Black Hawk helicopters. You're telling me the Taliban, these these supposedly cave-dwelling de desert people, all just know how to operate Black Hawk helicopters? Or they maybe probably they watch videos. That's what, what yeah, I did the 9-11 guys. Yeah. The 9-11 guys didn't know how to. You can learn anything on YouTube, really. I think you probably can. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, the, the official narrative of 9-11 is that we sh first off, we should never have listened to bin Laden about what he said and why he said he did it, um, <laughs> that they, they did it because they hate America and they hate our freedoms. Um, and that it was, they, they, they don't mention that most of the hijackers were Saudi Arabian. Um, right. so the, the idea is just, weird. they, they wanted to destroy America for what reason? Because they hate America. Um, and then they ran the planes in and tried to do all of this. I mean, that's that's the gist, right? It was just very clear cut. The terrorists did a thing because they hate us. But that a very simplistic way to put it never made sense to me. Because you know why the... wouldn't we read our uh, the, their leader, our enemy's words about why he did it? And, and of course, the reaction was just to double down on it anyway. Do you um, know that the we ancient Romans, them. the ancient Romans used to say that about the Gauls, that the Gauls are attacking us because they want our olive oil and they want our wine and they don't, they don't like us because of our, you know, we have riches that they don't have. Like that excuse is as old and what was as the reason? time. The, that the Romans were invading their territory and Romanizing, they, they were basically knocking out the leaders of these tribes and putting Roman puppets in place of the actual tribe leaders. It's, it's a story as old as time. It's no different than what has been happening now. And so Romans would come in, they would replace whatever king or chieftain was in charge of that area with someone who was compliant with Rome. And then the people would rise up and attack the Roman soldiers. And this was always, this was the evergreen excuse and the very thing that Caesar used to start the Gallic Wars, which massacred something like a million Gauls and um, drove these tribes people that had war with each other to join forces to fight Rome. And they got this close France. to doing it. 
Yeah. Right. So that's it's how you have friends. <laughs> and that's how you have no, friends. Yes. <laughs> that's interesting because I was reading Against the Grain. Maybe it goes back too far to be relevant, but Against the Grain by James C. Scott is a Yale professor, but a, an anarchist of sorts, I think. And he was saying that civilization, like cities, are not, cannot survive on their own populations. They have to have migration from other places. And he was saying, like, when the barbarians came, to Rome and stole stuff, they in return were taken as slaves a lot of times because they needed to replace the labor that you just, you wear, cities where civilization wears out the human population. I guess that, or they get destroyed by pandemics because they're too educated, but whatever. Maybe that's it. Maybe they're just giving the shot to the educated people because they're the threat. Sorry. It's interesting that they say the um, dis the placement of people who are resistant to the shot is on the um, opposite sides of the bell curve. So the people who are sort of like mid-grade, what Michael Malice calls midwits, they're all really supportive, you know, the compliant people, the people who just go along to get along. All of these people want to get the shot. But if you have a very, very low education or a very, very high education, both of these groups are rejecting the the implication that you should just obey and should just go along so that's how you have the instant third worlding of the first world because you just take out the middle class that's what you're talking mm -hmm. about there because mm -hmm. if mm -hmm. you look at a map of the vaccinated africa is not vaccinated and this would no. be the first time that a policy would be favoring the health and welfare of africans and the only thing i can think of is that once you i mean it's like when i used to work in a bank they, it, the bank is a pyramid of the employment in the bank, an investment bank is a pyramid, or it was when I worked there. So you have like a jillion cheap, insanely hardworking associates or analysts who burn out. And then you have the associate class, which all starts to make more money. They're a little more sophisticated, whatever. Then you have the VP class. Right. Then you have the people who like sell, like this, the managing directors bring in the business. When there's a downturn, they take out the associates and the VPs because they're very expensive and they don't really mm -hmm. have to run anything anymore. And right. they leave the plebs in place because they're cheap and they have some experience. And then when the business comes back, those guys are just like in the hopper. And so maybe we've just, we're like the VP class and we've got to go. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not going anywhere, but uh, well, sort unless, of a, it's, it's contagious, unless the vaccine is contagious, which I actually well, think it is. I plan to remain in the control group as long as yes, humanly too. possible. Only Amish. Yeah. <laughs> um, just um, deciding on my own religious exemption here, whatever it takes. But um, one, one so thing, I just wrote to bring a really it back. great thing on that, but you're supposed to just keep it short. I have a, like, I'll send it to you if you want, like, a five page thing. Yeah. On, yeah. On religion. Please well, do. I, we'll uh, I, link it in the description. I do want to say, though, the way you just described investment making is how I believe like the fbi cia and all those bad actors work it's like the mm -hmm. ground floor are the the people that you see the agents for the most part are they call them analysts probably right? yes they're pro yeah they're, they're true believers right they think they're doing the right thing but they're not they don't know what the people above them know because they don't promote the people who would question things they don't promote people who don't buy in completely and so they only promote like academia up and up until yes. they get to the top. And so there's a lot of planned incompetence at the bottom and they want that, 
because they don't want you looking at the top where the big stuff is going on. But that's just what I think happens. <laughs> I watched the no, I, um, I watched the FBI director and um, another guy give testimony before Congress today about the Larry Nasir thing, which, if you guys remember, is the U.S. gymnastics doctor that yeah, uh, abused girls. Yeah, right, right. So one thing I was noticing about them giving this testimony is every time they would ask these people, like, how are the FBI agents who were in charge of this investigation going to be held accountable? And at every turn, they see things along the lines of, well, you know, they retired. So there's nothing disciplinary that we can do. But I'm very, very sorry that this happened to you. And we'll do our best not to let it happen again. Well, if there's no accountability for anybody, how are you going to prevent it from happening again? You just retire, you get your pension, and there's nothing disciplinary that can happen to you. And so I, I think what Cam's saying about there being like um, planned, uh, what did you say? Incompetence. Planned, inco planned incompetence. You know, like, oh, well, there are just enough of these like middle level or lower level people that if something goes really screwed up or we get caught doing what is in our culture to do, uh, you can just retire, you take your penchant with you and you retire and you don't, uh, the, our organization isn't held accountable. You're not held accountable. We'll just give a nice apology in front of Congress and that's it, you know, and it's just, there's nothing to hold anybody to, uh, making any changes that would actually like protect people. I've talked to a couple different people and this is why I came across, came into this thought of how it works. Uh, who had worked with the government and they're like, no, 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 you don't understand. I've worked with these people and he's yes. not talking about the, the directors. Yes. He goes, he, he, I work with these people. They're incompetent. They can't do this. And I'm like, yeah, I know you're <laughs> wrong. <laughs> yeah. They're there. They're the, they're the duds. They're the duds yep. that make you think that there's no minds. But a couple of things on that. Yes, I, I was annoyed that they identified these people like these once in a lifetime rogue actors. Thank goodness that guy's out because right. I've never met a guy who did anything but but really care a lot about getting the truth. And maybe maybe sometimes they cut corners because budgets are tight. But boy, oh boy, those guys really they are they're just true blue. I mean, I, I don't believe that. I think there's a, a nope. culture of of whatever it is, if it's self-interest or politics or whatever it is. But I would like to see them have a congressional investigation like that about the two guys who went to jail for malfeasance in the investigation of Ross Ulbricht, who is serving two life mm -hmm. sentences for nothing. And... Mm -hmm. And these, and these guys, the fact that they were engaged in malfeasance during the investigation and were jailed for it was not allowed to be brought up in his trial. So here we have just an, an example no one's even supposed to know about, about gross malfeasance that really cost somebody his life. And, and they're trying, and that was a DEA agent and a secret service agent. So they're trying to tell right. us like, this is, this is, this is such an anomaly that we're having a Senate investigation because this right. this one bad apple, this is how we do things in Washington. Right. And if these are the people that we hear about, what happens to the people who have no power, who have no money, who are never going to have their story told? This is absolutely a culture. Why wouldn't it be? If it, you know, they get caught doing it all the time. So how often must it happen that you get caught doing it all of the time? I and, you know, people something. call. Go yeah, ahead. Go, go ahead. ahead. 
No, fairs. But well, I, I was going to say people. Yes, you finish. Then I'll go. Well, I was going to say uh, people call you a conspiracy theorist, but do I theorize that people conspire behind closed doors? Yes, because of they course. get caught doing it all of the time. That was all there I was going to say. <laughs> there are entire laws against it. RICO. RICO is just mm -hmm. about conspiracy. There, you can go to jail for simply conspiring without actually yep. taking any further action. So, so what I was going to say about the FBI is when I was looking into some of the Mueller investigation thing, if you read that report, it was hilarious mm -hmm. that the headlines and everything were like, oh my gosh, people were coming out and saying, I've never in all my years and all my years sitting in this with this gavel in my hand, I never saw anything as shocking, as outrageous. Blah, blah, blah. I read that whole entire thing. It was like hundreds of pages. And most of the citations, I would say 80% of the citations were one or, of two things. One, mainstream media newspaper articles that they were referencing. And these, I think they're called 302 reports or 202 reports, which are FBI reports where they can have a conversation with you and go write it down on a piece of paper with that number on it months later and just recall what they think you said. You don't even know mm -hmm. it exists. You can't rebut it. And they incorporated that as evidence. And, and when I read the, like the Lori Loughlin, this, that was another 200 pages, that Varsity Blues thing. I knew when those, the, the stuff, even the stuff they were saying and the FBI affidavit didn't even really make her look guilty at all. Like there was a point in which the conspirator was saying, we hope the mom doesn't find out what we're up to. Like, it's crazy. And on this, she has to plead. But the the FBI, the actual evidence, like read the Mueller investigation report if you want to understand the level of rigor that is lauded across D.C. and the newsrooms in the country. And I actually, I do think that was an unusual case, but those reports where they don't have to have any kind of recording, it doesn't have to be in real time, it does not have to be witnessed, and you're not aware of it, is the backbone of a lot of these narratives that you're right, like a, a little guy probably doesn't even know that. Yeah. You never, never talk to these people without a lawyer present. And I wouldn't talk to these people without recording everything that's said. And, you know, you don't trust them. Don't trust them when they say they have your best interests at heart. They want you to come down here and clear your name. We just want to understand what's happening. No, absolutely not. You never get in a room with these people and just casually chat with them. It's never a casual chat. Well, and it's just amazing. It, would, it amazed me then. It amazes me now that there it, you can be put into jail for lying to the FBI. How <laughs> yes. is that? But they're allowed to lie to you. Yep. Right. But even that, so, and that's like, like another thing that's kind of interesting. I mean, I understand. I kind of I understand the not lying under oath thing. But why the hell would you have to do that with the FBI? How would that be a law? How does that make any sense? Yeah, you better just not say anything ever. Jessica's right. Like, just keep it to yourself. Oh, yeah. Don't talk mm -hmm. to cops. <laughs> do not talk to them. And if they if you for some reason are being compelled to do it, you go there with a lawyer. You never, never walk in there without a lawyer, you know, and, and not the government lawyer that they're going to issue you. And this is the danger, because if you're a poor person, if you don't have resources, they they zip you up really quick really fast look, look at the brendan to, dassey who is that yeah. uh the brendan making dassey. a murderer case the young man who is um oh. very probably he, autistic um oh, they basically else. you know something Maybe i don't know what's going on 
something, yeah, something was going yeah. on there. And they clearly cornered him into repeating the phrases that they were telling him to say. And I believe he's out now. But if it were not for that Netflix documentary, that right. kid would how many in other, jail and how many others have, right, have they others. done it? That's right. the thing. They do that one thing to make it look like you can get out. Thin Blue Line was a really good example. But there's there's a lot of examples. If you get into the wrongful executions, I used to think it was oh, it never God. happened. Oh, my gosh. Does it happen? Holy cow. And if you're interested in how they they do their thing. Ibrahim Todeshev was um, an acquaintance, a friend more or less of uh, Tamerlan Tsarnaev, who I'm pretty sure was a CIA agent and um, operative anyway. There's a lot of evidence to suggest that the Boston Marathon bomber supposed and Ibrahim Todeshev, I guess, kind of knew that about him or knew something about him. And he was going back to Russia He's a guy in Florida and he was going back to Russia and the FBI came to ask him to not, to not go and to talk to him first. So they came to his house and his friend, he was sitting with his friend. He's like, I am really scared. And he went into the house. They unarmed. It was his own house. They shot him, I think six or eight times in the body and once in the crown of the head. Mm -hmm. And they said their story kept changing. He came at us with a broom, he came at us with a machete. I don't know. And his friend was interviewed. And I actually uploaded this somewhere. I have it somewhere, but uh, maybe I'm better off not having it. Anyway, so his friend was interviewed by the local TV station and he explained it. He was like, he was really scared and he just wanted to leave. And like, there's nothing wrong with that guy. And I don't know how this happened, but, uh, you know, it would have been good if he had gotten a lawyer and gone, you know. But he, but they talked him into not doing that, or if he had gotten on that yeah. flight to Russia, right, right. His wife actually called me. I did. I talked about it on the radio. She called me from Russia. I still have that interview too. Wow. But I asked her. Yeah, I asked her. I said, I think the little brother's dead, and she said that he wasn't. But I still. So I was like, she might not have known every bit of the whole story. But anyway, it was an interesting time. But that guy was. Uh, I mean, look, just look into the story. Yeesh. A lot of the people that the U.S. government wants dead end up in Russia. And so it kind of like points a finger at why there's such a negative uh, stereotype about Russia. And I don't think it's because their government gets up to the same shit that our government gets up to. I think it's because they have they a lot have of our political prisoners. Yeah. Right. Oh, They're basically the G GDP of a state. They're like a yes. really tiny country. But they have a lot of the uh, political refugees of the United States. The people that our government wants dead are in Russia. And uh, yeah, so they get painted a certain way in the press. Putin gets painted a certain way in the press. And it's it's madness. So I, I do want to circle back to 9-11 real quick because <laughs> um, I, I had mentioned in, in, with the if you take the official narrative, what we were told was to not listen to our enemies and not listen to what Osama bin Laden said. I don't mm -hmm. know if he ever said it on video, but there was a, a document that he allegedly wrote that talked about the reason he did it was because of the devastation he saw in Iraq from mm -hmm. the sanctions of the United States and the war that was waged there and all of this. He saw dead and dying children, and that was an impetus for him. But I, regardless of whether or not he wrote that or if that's true or not, the fact that they looked us dead in the eye and told us not to listen to why our enemies were doing what we what they were doing is so disgusting to me. 
So do you think that that was generated as propaganda for non-Americans? Because sometimes, like, I wonder how something gets out or, I mean, because I don't think Osama bin Laden 9-11. So why would he be saying he did? Why would he be explaining why? And why, if he didn't, somebody else put that out there, why did they put it out there? And I assume mm-hmm. it out because the rest of the world isn't so stupid as to think that they did it because they hate us. They had to make a plausible <laughs> explanation because people would just know it was Dick Cheney or whatever. Right. So, but I, what, here's what I want to know, though. We know the in, if, official narrative, which I have never believed. But what do you think happened that day? What do you think led up to it? Please, if you can give us some, Anika, regale us y- your thoughts. Yeah, you. The the other dark-haired woman. I thought about bringing on a third dark-haired woman just so I could be <laughs> shouted over the whole time. But I decided we just wanted you this time. Okay. All right. Um, I mean, I, I think the project for a new American century, just that team, that gang, I mean, that's, that's when you start thinking about like, there are like, I hate that the Q thing stole the chessboard analogy, but Mm -hmm. at at a certain point in the chessboard, there are factions and the, I guess the neocon faction planned it well in advance. Like I think they wired up the elevators and, I mean, there were, I believe it was a controlled demolition. And I think they gave heads up to a few people. I think obviously Larry Silverstein was in on it because he said that they were going to pull building seven. I mean, who would say that in the way the insurance works? So I think they planned in advance. I think they blew it up. I think Giuliani was in on it. And uh, I don't know, like they got their war. What What more is there? I don't even know. Like, did Mossad actually pull the trigger? Or I don't know. Like, were there dancing Israelis? I think there were probably a lot of people in on it. Yeah, I think, like, the JFK thing, where you you can actually look into the JFK thing and say it was the French mob. You can say it was the Italian mob. You can say it was those guys in New Orleans who were on trial from Jim Garrison. You could say LBJ did it. There's a lot of, of... Israel may have had a role in it. There's a lot of different ways you can look. Businessmen. Um, if you if you watch the movie Executive Action, supposedly James Jesus Angleton, when he died, said that was the closest thing to the truth. This movie Executive Action, which I think Peter Crawford might have been in, who was JFK's brother-in-law. Anyway, so. Um, I feel like if you dug in all of that, all of it, all of it would be true. That it's a, a an operation that probably involves a few people from a lot of organizations. So people who could make an organization move without without being questioned as to why. Because think of like the money flows. Mm-hmm. Um, the military was our military was like somebody would have noticed how totally vulnerable we were are we were with all those drills at all time like somebody knew about that in the u.s government so i just i feel like it had to have been a conspiracy of a few people placed in a lot of different places i mean there's the also saudis were in on it the saudis actually did it yeah. right 15 saudis actually did it right and we're <laughs> and there are allies saudi arabia's bitch and we never I or i mean and i think they're england's bitch so you know England. I mean, I we're, the, the, the U.S. is helping them just rape Yemen right now. Mm-hmm. 
Now, I Yemen, mean, that's another thing. Yemen, if you read Michael Scheuer's book or listen to him talk about it, maybe it's not in the book, but he was the head of the Osama bin Laden unit, whatever. And he said there was just tons of chatter coming out of Yemen. Yemen, 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 Yemen. Yemen's regime was totally fine with us until the regime that was responsible for all of that was run out of town. So mm -hmm. like all those places, all those governments who, I mean, it just, what, the question you're asking probably is who do I think is on top? The Rothschilds, the Rockefellers, or the Rhodeses, you know, of that triangle, who's on top? America, you know, um, Wall Street, the city of London, or Tel Aviv? Like, I don't know. I don't know. And didn't also Just Netanyahu famously remark about how good all of this was for Israel? Yeah, he did. And I'm not saying he, he was necessarily a major player, but he didn't make any bones about the fact that it was just like beneficial to well, his foreign I mean, policy objectives. Here's the thing about like the Mossad connection or whatever. I, I have this book on my shelf, not in arm's reach, but it's about Robert Maxwell and his involvement with Mossad. Six, I think six Mossad chiefs went to his funeral. Whether he, his, yeah. Yes. Whether his body's in the coffin or not, I don't know. But when you, when you read books like that, or you see like you, I've seen hidden video. I've seen video of Mossad assassins going out of and getting into elevators. Like, like, you know, a man and a woman with baseball hats on, they get out, they get back in, and the person's killed inside. Like, mm -hmm. it, they are, I believe it's, I, I believe that it's not even a secret that they have assassination squads. They have specialties. They have, you know, maybe compartmentalized. Oh, sure. So it doesn't mean, I don't think that mm -hmm. answers the question as to, like, what, who at the top really set this in motion and who is responsible and who maybe didn't cooperate and died for resisting. I don't know. Didn't they make a major Hollywood film with like Eric Bana in it about how Mossad assassins are basically out there, like bringing justice to the world and basically yeah. painting that whole assassination thing as like something we should be grateful for. And Oh, aren't these great maybe. heroes? Yeah. What, yeah. Do, I, I thought there was something that like movie? that out there. Yeah, it was called was Munich. Munich. There you go. Yeah, it was about like um, the uh, Olympic team that had been hijacked by Iran and had been killed, and that uh, Golda Meir basically hired these guys, or these guys were part of Mossad, and went out and started capping off people that they believed to be involved with the plot. And but this was put forward to the American public as what a bunch of heroes! Isn't this a great action movie? Don't you feel? vindicated to see these people being killed and in some of the cases even displayed in the movie there are innocents who are being you know kind of caught up in the crossfire here and the explosions that they set off and the bullets that were flying and you'll love this yeah. they it might have thrown somebody in the mix they just didn't like too in that flurry of killing why wouldn't yes. you though you know <laughs> you'll love this though monica do you know who directed that movie Munich, who directed? I'm going to have to guess now. Who directed? Steven. When was it Spielberg. made? Oh, okay. It's a newer movie. I thought it was an no, older movie. No, he didn't. He did. <laughs> I remember I mean, you mentioning Spielberg earlier this week I or last stand. week. I can't remember which. But you talk about how you don't like him. And I'm like, well, look at this. Spielberg. Do you not like him? <clears throat> so I guess, um, <coughs> yeah, they try to glamorize it. I think that's 
probably true, but that's why I'm always like really a stickler for evidence and trials and stuff. I mean, don't ever tell me like when I was defending Lori Lachlan or even Bill Cosby, like I'm telling you why he, he did not, his bill, the bill of rights was violated in his, in his trial. And, and it may be that this chick was extorting him on purpose. Like that is his fifth amendment right to have a witness in his favor was denied him. So we don't even know he may actually have been innocent of the crime he was convicted of. In any case, it was overturned, but, um, and that is why the prosecutor wouldn't prosecute him in the first place is because of that witness. But even the Lori Lachlan thing, I told people that she, uh, you know, she gave a charitable contribution and that she was being railroaded. And, and I mean, my audience at that time was basically all conservatives listen to me on the radio and they would argue with me like she's guilty of sin. How can you defend her? What a piece of crap she is. And I was like, could you just read the FBI affidavit? <clears throat> just read the section about her. It's like 10 pages. That's mm -hmm. all they had. And or basically all they had. And it does not it did not paint that picture. And my point is just that that it's they they're doing this with the Parkland kid, too. They're like, well, he shouldn't even get a public defender because he's so bad. I'm like, well, the reason yeah. they have public defenders in the Constitution is that the government can easily paint you as bad and you're not. And if you don't have the money to defend yourself, then they can do that not only to people who are bad, but to people who aren't bad. Or they can set up circumstantial evidence to make it pretty clear, you know, to railroad you and stuff. You've got to, it's got to be a jury trial. I hate plea bargains. I want a jury trial. I want evidence. I want process. Um, this is something that David Gornowski talks about with mimetic theory and how they basically set people up as sacrificial lambs. And Cam has talked about this too, where they'll often pick someone who's really bad or really ugly or just really easy to I got hate. It from Monica. It's a sacrificial oh, wolf. Okay. It's a sacrificial wolf. Yeah. So it's like you it, take the bad it, people. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you feel oh, I didn't not know only that was in the mimetic stuff. Yeah, David Gornowski talks about this. He um, talks about uh, the way scapegoats are set up for us because we have this natural inclination towards sacrifices. And it's just sort of like something that's ingrained in our nature as human beings. And so every once in a while, we'll need a sacrifice because the world is so filled with injustice, much of it perpetuated by our own governments, that they'll throw these sacrificial lambs out there, these scapegoats, so that we can see them sacrificed. And when we see a sacrificial uh, a sacrifice take place, it gives us a sense of justice. So this is the reason when you see these uh, photographs of people um, around a tree where someone has been lynched, a lot of the people will be smiling, even though this is a really horrible thing, like a person is hanging and you shouldn't even be smiling. Everyone there feels a sense of justice. So we're looking at it with the eyes, looking back in history saying, oh, isn't this a terrible thing? But to them at the time, they said, this is a bad person and we strung them up and didn't we do good? And you feel it, it not only do you get to get rid of the people you don't like, but you get to give everybody around a sense of that there is justice and it's false. It's all fake. It's an idol. It's, it's not real, but um, they do do that. And it's to give everybody that little warm feeling of didn't That's we do good? I did, I did hear that the scapegoat process, I think somebody told me, I think it was Bellamy Fitzpatrick told me it was maybe the most powerful thing mm -hmm. that like, you know, communal ritual, like it had the most power. So that's really interesting. And if it is so powerful, 
who is that person now? I mean, Andrew Cuomo just wasn't enough. Like someone's got to go. Will it be yeah. Fauci? Somebody's got to go. If that's really the thing, if it's that powerful, and we just had the news from Recall, he, I didn't think he was going to go. He's old money. Well, we we do it. Terms. We do it to entire populations. So like the entire population of Iraq was used as a scapegoat. The entire population of, uh, uh, sorry, Afghanistan was as a sacrificial goat to our need for revenge. Because I remember directly after 9-11, people talking about, turn that place into a parking lot. Well, Afghanistan didn't even have anything oh, to yeah. do with 9-11. But we had that sense of the, the need for blood. Um, and it is ingrained in human nature. I mean, back thousands of years ago, we would sacrifice animals. And this was to the gods. Like, we needed to please the what gods. So we would kill the animals. The 200 goats floating down the Chattahoochee recently. Did you hear about that? Headless oh, goat. word. Yes. Okay. I'm and glad I figured someone else it's, it's normally this. 30. It's normally like 30, but this time, and I figured it was because things were so bad that they were just trying to, you know, up the magic. So there is a significant um, both Santeria and mm -hmm. um, Hoodoo Voodoo uh, population. And man, oh. I don't I don't like talking about hoodoo or voodoo because there's something real creepy about that stuff. But um, yeah, so goats, the sacrifice of animals is like part of, you know, the religious practice, the the part of doing these spells, is the I, blood of these animals. I, was, I didn't know there were a lot of them in Atlanta. I didn't. I don't. Oh, know yeah. Them. What's that? What, what is the origin of that community? Why? Where did? How come that community is so large? So I'm not entirely sure. I was reading an article about it, and and they did mention what countries. It, it's a, it it's a variety Cuba of countries. Yeah, and West Africa. So it's a it's a combination of like um, old religion from Africa, kind of mixing in with slave culture that had been brought to the Americas, right. okay. and it was kind of like this mix of things. And that's um, hoodoo and voodoo comes from Haiti, which is that connection. And then I think yeah, uh, this one Santeria. Yeah, Santeria has a um, mixture with um, Catholicism, um, but there's yeah. animal sacrifice in both. And so the, the goats are thought to come from some sort of religious practice sacrifice. And what do, you, what do you do with these bodies, you know? Or is there a part of the ritual that requires them to be placed into flowing water yeah. or something Lens, of that nature? Yeah. So, yeah. I didn't, I haven't been tubing this year because I've heard a lot of people <laughs> are finding goat bodies and I just don't think I can handle that. So. Can you imagine? <laughs> Can you imagine? Unsanitary. Well, the, maybe um, they are. E. Coli. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Somebody, a JB, a, a listener of mine from Atlanta, said she thought maybe they were just trying to drive people away from the river. You know, they really don't want us to have access to nature or anything that has value. If rivers have value. The E. coli count was like off the charts this year too. Oh, probably because of that. Yeah. Yeah, and I would imagine that like the dumping of animal bodies directly into the water does have something <laughs> yeah, to do have, with driving. Bring it down. Yeah. Let me let me ask you two questions. One's quick. Do you think Steven Spielberg is Mossad? Oh, I never considered that question. I don't. I have no opinion on that. Because now that like, I know not that because he did that I, movie, I just it's never curious. Even thought about it. Well, maybe curious. he just wants to keep them on his good side. Maybe. Mm -hmm. Um, and then the second one was, since we mentioned Santeria, we talked about Paulo on your show the other day and about the, 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 the Naganga, the, the, what is it? Um, what do they call the cauldron that they have? That they fill with sticks and human bones. 
and other animal parts. Oh yeah. And and it, it enslaves the spirit of yeah. a, uh, a the oh, person yeah. whose bones it is, and they have their own little demon helper. Um, Serpent in the rainbow. We we were talking about this. Oh, interesting. Do you guys remember that movie? It came out mm. in like the late 80s. I rem remember hearing about it, but I don't remember seeing it. Was it good? It was really good. There was, it's based on a true story. I'm sorry, I'm running over your thing, Cam. It is related though. Yeah. Um, no, I was just, you're good. I was just gonna say, gonna ask her, um, there, there are people out there who believe that 9-11 um, and the sacrifice were, was a dark black mass type sacrifice. Do, do you, do yeah, you think I came, that there's yeah. darkness I came, in that way? I thought I thought of that. I observed that. And then I Googled it and found that there's like books written about it. I probably have some. I should have pulled out my book uh, on the subject um, ahead of time. But the I, it looked to me like it had to be. Like I just puzzled and puzzled and puzzled. Like how could you do that? And I thought, I mean... A ritual in in both for both purposes that a ritual would serve. One would be to terrify the congregation or whatever, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and the other might be to truly invoke magic. So right. I, I don't know if that if I mean at that level of like it, it's just downright evil to do something like that. I can't imagine anything on earth getting somebody even Dick Cheney to do something that crazy that bad to be, you know, it goes to Brzezinski saying we would have an elite that is not bound by our ethics, but there was, an, yeah. This is what I, I, I think power and money does have an effect, like a ratcheting up effect, because if you have every need and every want you've ever had met instantaneously by a, a swarm of worshipers, what else were where else would you have to go like you would have yeah. to ratchet things up the and law of diminishing returns yeah that's what it is human hunting parties but this is the only thing i could think of that could get them to rationalize it and all it all it made me think was well i just read a book called hidden history the secret origins of world war one and these guys do not care at all about the pain and suffering they impart on the masses mm -hmm. and that's why i'm just sick about this COVID thing i mean people what they have done to people's um lives with these vaccine mandates i mean hopes and dreams lives works people have to either take their chances or abandon everything live on the outskirts it's really sick what they're doing sick and the uh and the uh, but the way i felt like they might have justified the the 9-11 thing was saying okay 3,000 people died. We drafted those people. They were soldiers mm -hmm. who were drafted because we need to do what we know is secretly right without any evidence or trial or declaration of war. See, that's where it gets so bad to say, I killed this person because I knew he was guilty. I couldn't prove it. I didn't have time. I didn't have evidence, but I know they're guilty. No. It does not work that way. So what they said was we had to make something up, make it look like yeah. these guys did something that looked like what we know is the is the is the physical manifestation of how bad they are, of the true danger they pose to us. And we have to tell you, we have to prove that danger to you before they prove it to you even worse. And that that even worse never would happen. We are totally just look at the yeah. 
FAA. You can say whatever you want about them, but they do get it done. They do get it done. So, you know, they, there's, I hate to even utter it because like they, they'll be like, we, we can't, this perfect record we have of flight safety is, gives the lie to the incompetence canard that yeah. we're not incompetent, that the incompetence is designed into the system. So, uh, so maybe they just said they justified it, you know, by saying they, they all wars are started with false flags and this one, you know, these people were drafted and false flags are necessary to out to vet a true enemy. But there's a lot, there's a lot in the popular culture too, that sort of lionizers or celebrates um, extrajudicial um, killings and, you know, just the, the idea of the renegade cop who plays by his own rules, Jack Ryan, the character of Jack Ryan, who, you know, basically skirts international law in order to get the bad guy, Jack all Bauer. of these things. Uh, Jack Bauer, who would torture yeah. his <laughs> his wife's Jason brother Moore. in one episode. Yeah, Jason and all Moore. of these, right, right, all of these characters who become like our, our popular culture heroes because they skirt authority, they skirt any kind of, kind of limitation on their own power. And we're supposed to be grateful. And, and they're good. And, and they're always good. And these people would never, never, uh, you know, have bad actors that might operate under or the mistake. same kind of. Or mistake. Right. Yeah. Right. You know, how do they, you know, they can, they're these world-class assassins, but they're also the best information gatherers and judges and most level-headed people. But I, I wanted to, something that you said earlier, I wanted to comment on, Cam, on the topic about the Harry Brown article. Harry mm -hmm. Brown said a few things that I, I wanted to um, expand on. So one is, <clears throat> I've always had this sense that the way I phrased it was like exceptionalism is destabilizing. Mm -hmm. That if you, if you, I, I don't, I don't know if everybody's heard me say this, but American exceptionalism is not American extraordinariness. It's an exception to certain foundational laws, the law of nations by Vitale, which is really wrong because the constitution, the number one book that was used reference in drafting the constitution from what I read in John Coleman's committee of 300 for what it's worth, I think it's probably worth something is Vitale's law of nations. So, and that, one of the fundamental principles in that is this idea of sovereignty. And when we violate the sovereignty of other countries, and this is not just theoretical, this is actually what happened. I've had people call me from African countries, Middle Eastern countries, one specifically said about how they had so much hope in the 60s with JFK and everything, and then just the the legs were kicked out of that. Of that. Mm -hmm. I, heard, mm -hmm. I heard Gaddafi's son talk to Kucinich and say, I don't know what's going on here, but surely America can help correct the record. We're not scalping people. We're not, um, we're, we're not doing any of these things. These are outsiders. Little did he know it was undoubtedly us. So, mm -hmm. so this idea of American exceptionalism is the destabilizing force in the Middle East, which I think was a point that Harry Brown was bringing up. Another thing is this idea. I was raised 100%. My father always said, bombing is cowardly. You must never, we would watch mob movies and they'd blow up somebody's car. And he would say, that is, if you got to kill somebody, you shoot them in the face. Like that's what mm -hmm. you do. You look face them in the eye. Face. Yeah. He mm -hmm. said, bombing is cowardly. Hated bombers always taught us 
that was no respect for that. And uh, as far as I think Harry Brown's reverence to a place surrounded by two oceans seems like a callback to George Washington's farewell speech. So that the only, in my opinion, the only legitimate alliances are continental ones. So I believe that the founders mostly were continentalists. So you, you make your alliances with Canada and Mexico and you leave it at that. And you make sure that those borders are strong and you leave it at that. And your friend Smedley Butler, I believe, believe it was him who asked for an amendment to the constitution saying that US forces could not leave more than 750 miles offshore. I think that was one of the ones he wanted. How different the world would be now <laughs> if that had, yeah. Yeah, we act like there's bad in the world and we have to overstep our bounds, but think about it. We have had half the world's defense budget has been spent by the US military for how long? So how is anyone, even if all the other countries were our enemies and allied with each other, they wouldn't have the organization, they would have 200 different defense budgets. They could never produce the kind of defensive weapons that we have produced. And we, ha so how do they have them? How do they have cyber weapons? Because we give them to them. We sell them to them. We drop them out of the air on top of them, let them reverse engineer it. We are responsible for all of it. And if we had minded our own business, there wouldn't, we wouldn't, the defense budget would be a fraction of what it is. And that stuff wouldn't even be out there. I believe that we gave, I think Oppenheimer gave Russia the bomb just so the military industrial complex would have something to, uh, to have wartime spending during peacetime. It's that every government program is self-perpetuating too. So it's like, if you have a, a program against poverty, it creates more poverty. You have Absolutely. a defense uh, program, it's to create more danger around the world so that it can perpetuate itself. There's this Absolutely. quote um, from John Quincy Adams that I just remembered uh, that talks about this idea of allyship from the United States. And so he's, uh, he's talking about America. He says, wherever the standard of freedom and independence has been or shall be unfurled, there will her heart, her benedictions and prayers be. But she goes not abroad in search of monsters to destroy. She is the well-wisher to the freedom and independence of all. She's the champion and vindicator only of her own. She will commend the general cause by the countenance of her voice and the benignant sympathy of her example. She well knows that by once enlisting under other banners than her own, were they even the banners of foreign independence, she would involve herself beyond the power of extrication. In all the wars of interest and intrigue, of individual avarice, envy, and ambition, which assume the colors and usurp the standard of freedom. The fundamental maxims of her policy would be insensibly would insensibly change from liberty to force. She might become the dictatress of the world. She would no longer be the ruler of her own spirit. That That's last line. Prescient. Yeah. Son of the second yeah. president. What was he, the fifth president? Yeah, something like that. I uh, I have a book on my shelf. It used to be sitting Who's here. The fourth? Fourth or fifth? One of the two. Who's the fourth? I don't know. Let me let me. He look. must be the fourth because it was fail the quiz. Washington, <laughs> Adams, Jefferson. Was there was there somebody in between? Let's find out together. I knew this in fourth grade. <laughs> James Madison. I never learned. Madison. The president's good girl. She beat you with <laughs> he the was... brain. No, I have he a was second screen. <laughs> Um, oh. I have a, I have a book on my shelf called, um, hunting the jackal. 
and it's by a guy named Billy Waugh, who was a assassin for the U.S. government. He has a, a plaque and award on his wall that just says, in gratitude to the assassin. And it came from our government to him. And so I got this book because the guy has a pretty interesting history, especially in the Middle East. And um, the very, very first chapter of that book has him strangling with his hands a, a woman to death in a village in China um, or rather in Vietnam. And it was to keep her from alerting Chinese soldiers who were just over the ridge. And he, she had witnessed them kill her husband and she was making a lot of noise and he strangled her to death with his two bare hands. And after I read this paragraph, which sickened me so, um, he just basically summed it up with, I didn't want to do it, but hey, that's war. And these people will justify any monstrous act, including strangling a completely innocent woman who's upset at watching her husband get killed moments ago because, you know, hey, it's war. And, and so that, that is, is war. That's that always is war. Been, yeah. That's why we don't it, like it. Yeah. So it, it there's no bottom. There's no bottom. And I couldn't finish reading the book. I, I, I shut the book. I shut it. I put it on the shelf and I couldn't read anymore. Because so if war, war is the health of the state or war was the health of the state. Now sickness is the health of the state. Yeah. It's information wars. Yeah. No, it's just the pandemic is the war now. Yeah. But it, but that's but all if, an information war. Oh, yeah. Without the, the screen, war, there's no. If that's the war, the people are the enemy combatants. And how many innocent women would the state be willing to strangle with its bare hands to see the endeavors and the outcomes that it wishes to see? And I don't think there's a bottom. I don't think these people have any bottom. So, you know. So, but let, let, let me ask because uh, with that level of depth and <laughs> sadness, I think that we we might want to talk about. Well, it's a nine eleven show. Here. Yeah, but shift gears a little bit. We've we've been through a lot over the last twenty years, and then you know this year we had one six, which they said was worse than nine eleven last week. Multiple people said that. George W. Bush got on stage and said that the people from 1-6 and people like that are born of the same foul spirit as those who who ran planes into the, the Twin Towers. Um, <laughs> well, that's, yeah. <laughs> and, and as if George Bush would know that right. foul spirit. And, it, and it's just, it's just a, a week later, there's allegedly a um, gathering that's going to be for the justice for Ashley Babbitt happens to be a week after 9-11 just happens to be. And they're, they're putting up fences. They're saying they're, they're prepping for something. I hope nothing that shit glows in the dark September I'll say 18th. It right now. Everything but about that glows in the dark. I'm saying it was that the closeness to September 11th W saying what he did. These other people saying what they did. That's, that's a narrative. Like that's, that's written. Um, but we have hope. I mean, right. I mean, I've, I've spent a lot of time with you and Binkley going into the, the trenches of news and talking about these different <laughs> things, but we're always laughing. We're always finding the joy. I mean, I, I, I wanted one compliment I got from being on your show from one of your listeners was that they just really love my disposition. 
And it's because I, I can talk about the most horrible things in the world and I'll get, <laughs> sometimes I'll get kind of choked up, but I can, I also laugh at the worst things because of the absurdity your, of it. Your customer you service training though, gets you to like <laughs> bear up. You have that voice that mellifluous, what does mellifluous mean? But you just like, I feel like you've got a lot of emotional control. So even if you were shaken up that you would, that you would yeah. not show it. But I, I just, you know, if I thought about it too hard, I, I would not be able to laugh. I look at it like, a, like a rational human being. And I, I'd laugh at the absurdity of the contradictions of the, you know, it's just, it's very absurd, but there is a lot of genuine pain and destruction that these people have wrought. And I, I, I feel like I, I can only think that this is what it's like to be in a war. Mm. It is what it's like to be in a war. And, and maybe all wars are like this. They're really per lately anyway, perpetrated against the people of the country, you know, that your own people, it's like democide. Maybe war was always a form of democide. Even Governments kill their own people, but governments kill their own people by sending them to war, which doesn't even count in those numbers of hundreds of millions. However, you know, we just, there are so, so many people who see the truth now, though. I mean. More than ever. Yeah. Like, I, I just, I feel like something's got to give. I just feel like something's got to give. Maybe, well, maybe the battle lines are drawn and we just, we're on our side and. I don't know if we have to actually fight or we can just move south. I don't know. I don't know. I don't Come know south. the right answer. <laughs> Come south. I want to, I'm still here. thinking Texas. I like the New Hampshire idea, but it's a little close to Canada. <laughs> so um, just real quick, malefluence means the quality of sounding malefluous. That is the quality <laughs> of sounding, the quality of sounding very smooth or pleasant. So you, there were you are. Yeah. That is you, Cam. Malefluous. Thank you. <laughs> There's it a very such famous. A before. Yeah. Good word. It was such a good word that I had to look it up because <laughs> I got it from an old Howard Stern clip. All so right. if you look up that word and look up Howard Stern, you will hear the funny clip. Okay. Someone wished I will Robin say, a malefluous Easter. I oh. don't know. <laughs> was if, like, I don't know if I've mentioned, did I mention Norm passing at the beginning of this or did I? I'm not, not? sure. That was in the show did. today. No. That was um, well, for, let me just say one, because you mentioned Howard Stern. Um, one, uh, rest in peace, Norm MacDonald. You're a treasure. Uh, read read his memoir. I'll put it in the, the show notes if you want to buy it. But I will never forgive Howard Stern for the time he took Norm MacDonald essentially to task. I can't remember the specifics of it off the top of my head. But there was one time he essentially made um norm apologize for not going along with the establishment and and you know and you know howard stern in the next if he hasn't already is going to be giving all these kind words mm -hmm. to norm mcdonald but before mm -hmm. norm mcdonald passed away he spent time trying to beat him into compliance and so yeah. howard stern can shove it up his ass a lot of people yeah. did that norm was canceled by the establishment and they they really tried to ruin uh the career that he had built over the last deck you know how many decades Why? and now that Why? he's died because he didn't toe the line he was you know uh he was never outwardly political but he didn't go all the way balls to the wall left when everybody else in the culture was doing that 
also, you know, he, he had some Christian leanings, just all of the things that make people not popular in the culture now. Um, he just didn't toe the line. And so they, they ruined him or tried to ruin him as a result of that. And now that he's died, they're going to do this thing that they always do when people die. And they, they put him up on an altar and surround them with fl uh, flowers and flames and tell them how tell everybody how great they were and how great the friendship they had with them was when the truth <laughs> is the establishment tried to bring him down. And it's like, they, it's, yeah, like with Reagan, Ronald Reagan, they did all that too. But I, I'll say for Norm McDonald's exactly what I said for Donald Rumsfeld. I hope he is getting his just desserts. <laughs> yeah. I said to Cam before we started the show, um, a lot of Norm's uh, Christian leaning uh, tweets are coming out now that he's died and people are kind of bringing them back up. And I said, it's kind of awesome to know I'll get to see Norm Macdonald again at some point. So yeah. yeah, now that they know that's all we got. And maybe there'll be a, an amazing religious resurgence of a, of a profound and good nature rather than exploitive, which like everything good gets exploited. But, you know, maybe people facing down death because that's all that's being shoved down our throat night and day maybe they'll realize like, maybe I don't have as much time as I thought I had. And mm. I, I ought to get a little, little church and up. Of course they close <laughs> the churches, but we've, we've got to, we've got to get that back on track. Hopefully we'll live long enough to see them open again in full. They're pretty open so here, I, but lost a lot. I heard someone, I heard someone asking a priest recently, like, aren't you scared that they're going to bring the lockdowns again, that they're going to shut us down again? And he said, Oh no, I'm not worried about that. Do you know how good, the church is at surviving persecution. If we have to go back down to the catacombs, that's where we'll go. But they didn't. Like, but they didn't. Many did. Do you remember that Polish Canadian pastor screaming at the Canadian authorities, "Out Nazi, out Nazi"? Oh, do you know I that? I asked my priest of, to do it, and he said no. <laughs> many won't. Many it. many pastors are of the world, but are uh, in the world. Uh, some of them are. Some of them are of the world and some of them are just in the world. Yeah, and we so do have a new find... pastor who did have enough and he stopped. He did yeah. stop. And now everybody just goes to mass. <laughs> I guess they realize like, that's that. <laughs> so I, I can't tell you how much crap I got over a year ago when I said, people, if you if your church is closed on Easter, spend time with your family. Try to have a church service at your house do something, you know, celebrate this. And there were people all over my Facebook, which is part of the reason why I don't get on Facebook anymore, um, who were just angry at me for telling people to spend time with their family. <laughs> Imagine. What a criminal thing. But what kind of a church closes? I mean, that's what they did. That's what the Catholic churches did. Uh-oh. Time to go. They're, they're uh, on <laughs> Easter in the face of death. If you're going to leave it, you yeah. know, they should leave them open. Open a funeral parlor next door and a church over here because yep. that's the only thing that you need to keep open. You don't need the bars. You don't need the gyms. You don't need the schools. You don't need the government offices, but you need the churches. If you've got that, if you've got people afraid of death, it's just crazy mm -hmm. or mm -hmm. facing. Death. I think, I think the first time around they had a lot of success with it because nobody knew what was happening. People were generally scared that this might be something really bad. They don't want to put their older people in danger. So there was a lot of like genuine um, concern that went into that. I think them trying to do a second round of that, they'll find a lot more resistance than they did the people first time. People are going to be way sicker this time though. People are way, way sicker this time. This time 
there is reason for, I, I mean, I'm not suggesting it, but I, no. I didn't know anybody who was sick before the vaccines rolled out. And now people are getting sick like crazy. I got sick only, no. at, I think I got it from somebody who had the vaccine. No, back then no. we saw it. Anybody who wasn't totally believed every damn thing that comes out of the mainstream media could have had a mind to say like, what the hell? Yeah. Um, don't get me mad. Could Let's get back to where Brown. we were happy. What'd you uh, break, that, Cam? Leave us with that. What'd you break? Because uh, you, you're I obviously gone What's it, Cam? It was a bottle of ibuprofen. I don't, I'm not sure oh, okay. what <laughs> fell off of my desk. Um, that, you know, bottle, you know, when you started with a bottle, I would think it was anything but ibuprofen, given what's really going on in that room of yours. <laughs> Even during the persecutions of Christians in the Roman Empire, the Diocletian per persecutions, there were martyrs. Yes, people who like died for their faith, but not everybody was a martyr. Some of them took the church underground. And those people kept the fl flame alive too. So you need a variety of people. Some people are going to obey, yes. Some people will take it underground. Some people will have church in their home. Some people will resist the authorities. And so all of this draws people back because when I saw his name was Arthur Pulowski, the guy in Canada who was screaming at the police officers to get out of his church. And they helplessly eventually threw their hands up and walked out. That flame inspired me. I said, I'm going to church. I'm going back to church. You better believe. And well, so you, it does, you, it's not purposeless. It does have an so effect on people. Can, can Rush, can Catholic, Roman Catholics convert to uh, Russian Orthodox? Is that, is that okay? Yeah, you, yes. Church? So yeah, I, I, I became Russian Orthodox. Don't let you become Roman Catholic. So I, um, I'm, I, I converted to Orthodoxy. Um, and technically I was baptized Orthodox. So that has a little bit to do with why it was such an easy transition for me. But there is such a thing called economia in the church, which is if you've been baptized Roman Catholic, you don't need another baptism. We consider that. I want sacrament. another baptism. Baptism is the best. It wipes it all well, away. <laughs> so that's a Protestant thing too, that like it's if better you, than if you, confession, you, you can get as many as you like, uh, if to go into any new church and they'll, they'll rebaptize you. But as far as the Orthodox go, it's, it's the, the maintenance of the house economia. If you've been baptized already by the Roman Catholic church, we consider that sacrament to be legitimate. And you can convert and become an Orthodox and say, okay. But does the Roman church think that I'm an apostate? No. Yeah. So <laughs> we're in schism, the Orthodox, and the, we call it the Latin church because technically we're all Catholic. Um, yes. But yeah, the, the, the Roman Catholics have some pretty big attitude about that. I um, thought you guys said that. Someone told me that I could go to mass and confession or mass and communion at a Roman church, at a Russian church, but that Russians don't think it's valid to go to mass and communion in a Roman church. No, they don't. And, and like, I would not, if, if my only option was to go to Catholic, a Catholic church or to pray at right. home, the better would option would be church. for me to pray at home. Right. Yeah. I wouldn't go and commune in a Catholic church. So my but, uncle was a priest who was trained in the Eastern Rite, but I do not think that was full like Russian. I think that's more like Greek. Right. So there's different things too. It's like there's Russian, there's Greeks, there's uh, Antiochian, which I'm an Anti Antiochian. So we're all Eastern Orthodox, technically Eastern uh, Catholic Orthodox. Um, but so we're technically the same re religion, but there's um, cultural differences. So like there'll be traditional um differences in the way that we do things. 
So, but you know, I could go commune in a Russian church. I could go commune in a Greek church. The Russians and Greeks could come to my Anatakian church is and we would commune them. Transubstantiation, like when you take communion, it is the body of Christ? It is the the blood and the body. And that when they are uh, preparing that, the there's a whole divine liturgy that goes along with uh, creating this event. It's not just a memorial. It is right. genuinely so, happening. Yeah. One of my listeners is a priest and I, I'm, he's going to answer all these questions and then I can tell people later. Oh, okay. <laughs> Thank you for allowing this so conversation because I know he's going to listen. I'm going to get like a three page thing, which is what I'm after. <laughs> so bring yeah, it. I'm a, I, I am only a catechumen, which means I have not yet been um, okay. confirmed. Right. Um, as an Orthodox, but I'm having my chrismation, my confirmation in about a month from now. So that's a, a pretty, yeah, yeah. It's that's pretty exciting. You don't get a lot of sacraments. So they're all sacraments no. are awesome. No. And I hardly get it at all because I'm a celiac and they stop fucking wine. Pisses me off. Oh. So well, come anyway, on over the to Russians, the Orthodox I church. Know, the Russians are basically the same. The pandemic much better. All right. Well, we'll see yeah. what my priest says. Okay. <laughs> Let me that. know. I'll send you some lectures. I got some good le lectures and they outline oh, the know, tenets of the faith. Lazy. And... Very lazy. <laughs> All you have to do is listen. You just put them on and listen. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just hedging my bets here. I just, I don't, I don't know if I could actually be spiritual. See, I'm like the only person on earth I know is like, I'm religious, but not spiritual. Like oh. most people say the exact opposite. I'm like, I definitely want to be part of the church. I'll go to mass. I'll like, give me the checklist. I'll do all those things. Squeak by. I'm probably going to be like the cleaning lady if I get into heaven. It's totally fine with me. But, you know, I'm not going not, not, not gonna, to, not knocking the ball, <laughs> the cover off the ball. I'll tell you what. I believed in the philosophy of Christianity before I believed in God. And I know it doesn't there happen that go. way for a lot of people. Yeah, no, but, that's how yeah. I you come to the sometimes you come to the philosophy first and then the belief right, of God we'll follows see. afterward. We'll see. No. We're we'll gonna see get you, we're gonna get you saved for I'll be for praying. I, what are you talking about? <laughs> I'm the original church. I'm just looking for an app because I'm pissed at them. <laughs> but it's the original church, oh. man. I'm just wrong. Oh. Now you have an that argument that yours is the original church and we are the schism. I think so, that's so reasonable. So what did it yeah, to, we were like together Dan. at one point. Both are Dan the original like church, and then we split. Yeah, he's a Protestant, so we have yeah, a lot of fun arguments. Got no argument there. No argument. Yeah. No argument. No, I don't. I don't argue that the Catholics are not the original church and that the Orthodox are. We were both together, right, at one point for the original church, and then we split off. We're both. The original yeah that's church. fine but he says i'm not saved that's was, that's protestant fuck. no that's Cam's, we don't Cam's cool he's no. cool no you can't you can't be saying that so that's well, technically we you don't all, understand we all split off we're all a part of the original church get out of here the catholic means level universal. of indoctrination i really can't i can't i cannot i literally could not switch to a church that wasn't consent like i cannot do it like i could not mentally like it's too deep in the whatever the, the wire i don't know man. what it is like when they get you like the minute you're born i did i ever tell you this we always go over but i'll tell you what's the last story so when my when i was born i'm the youngest of nine and it was like a totally catastrophic <laughs> event not because i was born but because of the manner of the birth and when the doctor came to say like this is very serious my dad said save the baby mm -hmm. and when my mother 
when we both survived, my mother was like, of course you have to, because I was baptized and she wasn't. So uh, like since the minute, you know, like there is absolutely no question. Like I'm not, I don't even think I have the right to squander that kind of a decision. So anyway, so that you just can't get away from that kind of indoctrination, whether it's yeah. right or wrong. But I'm obviously I think it's right because I will like there's absolutely no way I'm facing the rest of this life, which I'm basically now living for the next one without <laughs> without sticking to that gun. Anyway, that's just me. So that's just me. I'll probably get a bunch of letters, not just from the priest, but from other people who think I'm absolutely idiotic for thinking there's any purpose to any of it, but whatever. Who writes letters anymore? Well, you emails, letters, emails. Throw them away. They're letter sized <laughs> emails. Trust me. Trust right. me. Most of them aren't, but on stuff like this, that's why I hate to go near anything like this or the Civil War. The Bible church of civil war it's like obviously you spent a lifetime reading about this and i definitely didn't just hedging my bets making my bone broth going to church making my bone broth going to church like that's all that's my sunday i'm doing my best it's all you can do and if i get anything if i get a message longer than a tweet i go i'm not gonna read that and then I ignore it. So just take <laughs> well, that the would free up a lot of time of mine. But my community is all I got. I live in LA. So you read you read the first 280 characters and then you dismiss the rest. No, I read every every what patrons send me, I read everything. Oh it's you're nice. sweet. They're nice, yeah. they're smart. Yeah, it's good. I like it. To so our patrons, I'm not it, I'm not gonna do that. <laughs> so make your no. point in 280 characters or do not send it to me. Thank you. No, but if you send me a message, I will send it to her and it'll come from me. Send send them to Monica. She'll read them. Yes. Yeah. Yes. yes. <laughs> just summarize them. Send them. I on. can't do all the tweets anymore. Up until recently, I did every single tweet I got. Every oh single God. tweet. I have 15,000 followers. Every single tweet. I don't tweet. even do that. But I can't. I can't do it anymore. I can't Have you do met these people? Have you met the people who follow I've me? I've met a monsters. lot of them. <laughs> They're what? They're monsters? They're oh, no. Yeah. Well, I, I got good at not eliciting the, the mean stuff. I just, mm. you can really get good at not saying stuff that trigger people. Like I could go for, for the longest time. Every once in a while, I, I mess up and then I got to deal with yeah. that. But rarely. <laughs> yeah. rarely anyway, but I really loved that. But now life is too hectic. I yeah, can't. I feel that. I'll be but back. We will we'll wrap this up. But let me, the, the hope question, very simply, what's something in your personal life right now that gives you hope that you think might be worth sharing with our audience? Because we find hope in the little things, not just the big things. Um, it's me, isn't it? Well, <laughs> I mean, how little can it be? It can be personal. It can be global. It's just whatever. Very, very little. That's I okay. think I found something, someone who will walk my son who has Down syndrome, teach him to walk to school and back every day, which Yay. I don't have the time to do because I have to drive my other kids. And he he just needs to learn these things. And boy, it takes forever. And it's a very hard to find someone you can trust. He's going to be safe. And it made me very all day after all this finally finding someone I think is going to, you know. Help that cake another step. I think that's a wonderful answer, Monica. And <laughs> okay, so great. with that, thank you for coming on our show again. You, you, and, you know, if you want to find Monica and me sometimes, you can find her. Uh, if you want to check out the website, it's thepropreport.com. She's on all the podcatchers. 
she they have a Patreon, patreon.com slash propaganda report, or is there a the in there? Okay. No, nope, um, just propaganda. And, then, and same thing for Rockfin. Yep, and we're we're on Rockfin as well. You can use our link, her link, no matter what. Just watch both of our shows. We both get a kickback. We both get to keep this thing but, going. But you have to tell people that you're filling in on the drive time news blast this week, our weekly, our daily, daily show of the news. So you got, yep. I know, Jessica, I hope that someday you can fill in for Cam if Cam can't fill in for us. <laughs> so I have to just like go down the line, but hopefully that Brad will be back soon. And then we can take a rain check on this. Oh, Binkley. Both of us. I hope he thinks if you're out there listening, I hope you feel better soon, but. <laughs> And other than that, you can find her on Twitter at Monica Perez show. And I think that that's it. So I will let you go. Do you need tell us you your stuff? Because I'm going to put this in my feet. Okay. Well, I, I can, I can go ahead and do that. Usually I'll like kick people off so they don't have to deal with it, but I will do it just for you. Um, if you first off, let's talk about the episodes coming up. We're entering the period. We're entering spooky season and October is going to be great. So we actually have so excited. The next four weeks are going to be interesting. You know, Odd Man from the Odd Man Out. He's yes, coming definitely. next week, and we're going to be talking about um, what was his name, Jim Jones, and the the ritual uh, suicide, mass suicide at Jonestown in Guyana. Um, then after that, we're going to have Kate Cheryl back. She is she runs a little a little project called Burials and Beyond. We had her on one time to talk about death, and this time we're going to be talking about Gothic spiritualism. So that'll be a lot of fun. Uh, following that, we have my favorite true crime podcaster, Jack Luna from The Dark Topic. We're just gonna we're gonna talk about dark topics and his history, how he tells stories, how I. If you remember in my red pills, I think I did it in this where anytime I said the word quote, I did it like Jack Luna, which he goes quote. I <laughs> borrowed that from him because I loved it. And then finally, second week of October, we're gonna have Cody Cook. And uh, Ryan Burgett's going to come back on the show, and we're going to talk about interdimensional beings. We're going to talk nice. About, we're going to talk about uh, that. Uh oh, you're going to have to wrap me. Or... <gasps> oh no, I don't know how Yay. to put. I don't know how to do the things. Okay, so good thing well, you you're mentioned what's coming up. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, if you want to find me, I'm at Soup Canarchist on Twitter. Cam is at Cam Harless. And you can find us on Odyssey, Rockfin, um, anywhere basically that podcatchers are sold and also on YouTube. Um, if you're here listening on YouTube, please hit the subscribe uh, and notification bell. If we get up to a thousand, we can do super chats. So guys help us get up there and um, definitely follow Monica on the propaganda report because she's awesome. And I hope everybody had a good time. Um, Cam has a button that he hits to do the... <laughs> exit i don't have that button um, oh, that normally would come up and tell us like it was like the outro music and stuff like that so i don't have that i'm sorry guys you're not going to get the cool outro music but um i love you and please come back again